Hi, this is Jim. And Ralph. And we welcome you to uh, Psychology Takeaway, the podcast where we try to make sense of psychological research and uh, apply it to uh, your life. Well, this week, Ralph and I are going to continue our uh, discussion of the wonderful world of memory. It's an area that's been studied a lot in psychology, but it's also an area that we still don't know everything about. And last week, Ralph, remember we talked about amnesia, and then we talked, which is forgetting, but then I mentioned just sort of in passing that there's an area in memory called hypernesia, which it has to do with remembering. Yes, I remember you saying that. <laughs> There's memory for you. And uh, so we have thing, a guest. The thing is that we we neither of us knew very much about it. So today we have a guest, uh, and this uh, doctor is happens to be a, an expert in uh, hypernesia. Hypernesia. Yep. So, so okay, uh, Doctor Hachmeyatani. Uh, um, uh, is the chairman of the psychology department at Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant. And uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, ah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, so it is interesting when you can't do, you do the research. So my memory has not been all that great. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I decided many years ago, I wanted to study how memory works. Okay. The, the one memory phenomena which I come across was very mysterious. So I decided to do some study on that. Uh, that is known as hypermnesia. Now, amnesia is forgetting and hyper means the opposite. So hypermnesia is the opposite of forgetting, meaning that you are remembering things more and more. Right, and that is that is very mysterious because you can get it by simply repeating a test. Now I remember you presented this at a, a meeting once, and it was very mysterious because, if I recall, you talked about a procedure where someone would take a test, they wouldn't study again, they wouldn't be, they take the test again and they do better, and they take the test again and they would do better. Now, Jim, the way you explained that to me was that they also wouldn't get any feedback on the first or second test, so they wouldn't know how they scored. Right. Yes, yes, that is absolutely true and very mysterious. So by repeating a test without getting feedback, and then you are not studying between tests, somehow you remember something you did not remember before. How does that work? That is a good question. <laughs> I have been trying to find out why, and, uh, and it seems to be very, very mysterious. Uh, somehow inside of your mind, you are sampling what you remembered. And that sampling is not just what you remembered before, but something which you didn't remember you sort of pick up on it. Now that's really paradoxical, isn't it? I mean, that's, that yes. makes my mind Yeah, so, so it is interesting when you, when you tell students about taking a test more than once, uh, they usually don't believe 
that will make any difference. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 you know, psychology has this um, tradition of assessment so that, um, that we talk about this reliability. You know, every test should be reliable. So once, once you take that test, that's it. That's what you remembered, right? That's uh, what the theory says, right? Right, but then, right. but then, but then, if you repeat the test, somehow you remember more. Now, this really doesn't happen with the recognition. Okay, so if you are doing multiple choice, probably the likelihood of getting higher score by repeating probably is not going to be there. Okay, so what kind of a test are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about the free recall. Uh -huh. So when you interview, okay, so, so put it into more uh, real-world um, uh, perspective, right? So, um, so when we try to remember something, we are not really doing the recognition, right? right. People right. will ask you, what do you remember, you know? So um, like a, talk about the forensic interviewing. You witness some kind of um, a crime or something, right. and then police will ask you, right? You know, what do you remember? That is a free recall. Yeah, yeah. Right? In fact, we were talking about that last week, weren't we, Ralph? We were. You were we, talking about what, doing a cognitive interview? Cognitive interview, which is open-ended questions, and usually the interviewer will start by saying something like, now I want you to sit quietly here and put yourself back in the situation. You're standing at the ATM machine. Uh, Recall, think of the sensations, uh, and then just in any order comes to you, tell me what you remember. Yes, yes, and what I would say is repeating it. Okay. You know, just because you didn't remember this time, that does not mean you won't, you will not remember it next time. Aha, uh -huh. okay. Well, in a way, I've kind of experienced that, uh, Dr. Matani, because I've I've been in situations where at a social gathering or coffee, whatever, uh, people have said to me, well, what do you remember about such and such? And I'll tell them, and then as I'm driving home, I'll say, gee, I, I should have told them about this too, because that is something that suddenly flashes into my mind. Yes, yes. It is very interesting. You know, where did that come from? Yeah. Right. Um, and I have been doing the study for what, 20 years, 30 years? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that is very, very mysterious process. So uh, there will be a lot more studies to be done in this area. And what is interesting is that I have been pursuing why we remember more when we repeat a test. But the repeating the test actually has another benefit. And what's that? It is known as testing effect. Okay. Okay, so you are repeating what you remembered mm -hmm. as well as you are getting something new. But what happens to those things you remembered over and over and over? Aha, uh -huh. the memory Sorry. trace gets stronger. Yes. To use Lashley's terms, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, that will prevent forgetting. Okay. So when you repeat the test, actually you remember those things you, or you consolidate what you remembered. 
so that when you take a test, like uh, maybe tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, uh, we usually do one week, one week delayed test. Um, you can remember what you remembered before. So um, what, what, what should I say? Okay, memory is really tricky. Okay, just because you remember something now, that does not guarantee you will remember it right. later, later on. Yeah, well, yeah. we see forgetting all the time. Right, right, but we underestimate that, see? <laughs> so uh, so um, we, we are always confident that, uh, oh yeah, I already know this. You know, but then repeating the test actually prevent forgetting, and that is known as a testing effect. And it is a lot more effective than just simply studying. It is amazing uh, that one of the experiments showed that um, if you repeat the studying four times, and then if you, if you study once, and then repeat the test three times, and then take a final test one week later, sh you know, showing that um, taking test actually is better than studying more. Huh. It's kind of the opposite of what Ebbinghaus found. It, uh, found. Remember, his forgetting curve was really, really steep in the first couple of hours. And oh, then, yes, yeah. that is a good point. So um, you want to prevent it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then again, again, what I said before, like I said before, students often don't believe in repeating the test. Yeah. Now, here's the question then. Many of the textbooks that are printed today have at the end of every chapter a test. Uh, should a student who is studying uh, actually do those tests every chapter and maybe do them three or four times on their own? Yes, yes. So repeating is the key. So just because you could do it now, that does not mean you can do it later, right? So what this repeating the test has two, okay, two benefits. One is hypermnesia. You know, somehow mysteriously you can remember more things as you repeat a test, especially in a free recall situation. Yeah. The second benefit is to preventing forgetting. So again, it is difficult to convince people to take a test, the same test, not the different test, right? Same yeah. test over and over. And again, recognition testing effect has been shown in the recognition. Hypermnesia did not, we, we have not found in recognition, uh, it's, you know, under some specific condition, yeah, we can, we can see some, but the recognition usually don't show hypermnesia. Okay. Now, a while ago, we interviewed one of your faculty members, um, uh, Dr. Dunbar. Now, he's been working with um, uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but particularly Alzheimer's is important here with memory. Um, is there anything in your research that would give us a clue as to how we could help um, people who are perhaps um, Alzheimer's prone to uh, uh, keep their memory? Ah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, once you develop Alzheimer's, it is very difficult to recover from it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so there is a stage where they are not there yet. That is known as a mild cognitive impairment, uh -huh. or we just call it the MCI. And in that case, maybe we can help 
some. I, I, I would not say you know we can we can just uh, do you know do something to to uh, help them um, to remember everything. Mm -hmm. um, my okay my, my my recommendation is two right okay so um so one is uh, reduce reduce the, reduce the memory load okay right okay. so uh, my father <laughs> 90 years old um, in Japan uh, has a problem remembering. Because in Japanese culture, when you have something important, they will put away someplace special. Of course, he forget. Okay. <laughs> right? yeah. Okay, so, so I told him, you know, don't put it away. You know, just put it on the table or just uh, stick it on the, on, the, on the wall or something so that um, uh, he doesn't have to remember okay. where it is put yeah. away. Right? The other one is to make it, you know, make, make some effort into remembering. The more effort you put into remembering, the better the, the yes. memory trace that you lay down. Okay. Yes, right. yes. Oftentimes, what we do is simply just um, the, the glance at it. You know, you don't pay too much attention in terms of whether or not you need this piece of information later on. Yeah, one of the things that's an example of that, uh, Dr. Tony, my wife is painting our living room. So she's laying down some painter's tape. And then we'll interrupt that to sit and have a coffee together. And then she gets up and says, where's my painter's tape? Ah, yes. Because she put it down without even thinking. You know, like not okay. I'm putting it here and cognitively. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, but just setting it down and then get up and say, okay, "Yes." Where so is it? when you, yeah, when you, I mean, when you get old, right? So um, I don't know what what age is really old, but um, we tend to become less and less capable of encoding. So what is incidental encoding? Like, uh, just look at it and then don't think about it. Later on, you know, you say, oh, yeah, I have seen it over there. You know, that kind of ability becomes a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you have to work at it. You know? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, when I'm doing woodworking, I continually lose my woodworking pencil, special flat pencil. Yes. Okay? So I now have to really think about putting the pencil in my back pocket. When I'm not using it, that's where it is. Oh, yes. And okay. I don't lose it anymore because okay, I've got so, now a special place for it. Yeah, that is the technique of reducing mm -hmm. the memory, memory load. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also make it conscious every time I am putting this in here. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that would make the memory stronger. Now, since you've done a lot of work with memory, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I think you're going to say maybe you don't know, but... Uh, this is the question, right? Yeah. Okay. Where, where is memory? Where is memory? Okay. <laughs> it is somewhere in your brain, um, but the pinpointing where it is is very difficult because probably bits and pieces of information are scattered across the brain. But that, what I think, okay, so, so here is my speculation, right? I think we have a multiple memory of the same thing. So every time we see something, that is stored 
-hmm. And if you if you see the same thing, it will be stored again. So there there are multiple multiple representations, so to speak, of the same thing. That's why I can say this is the thing I looked at three minutes ago, but it looked like this five minutes ago, and then ten minutes ago, because I have this multiple memory of the same thing. But the, but the, yes, the answer to the question of where my memory is, it is difficult to say. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's in the brain, of course, right? It's, but you know, it is not true that um, people talk about the muscle memory. Yeah, right? I was going to ask about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, memory is not in your muscle; it's still still in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, we have the old saying: uh, "Practice makes perfect." Ah, uh, yes. But the truth is, practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. Ah, uh, yes. So, um, so <laughs> practice is very interesting topic because uh, we used to think that the doing the same thing over and over is the best way. But that is not true either. You know, doing the, doing the different things over and over actually make your memory stronger. So, okay, okay. So I have to make a distinction between learning and retention, right? The learning is what you're doing now to learn, and retention is what you remember later on, right? Right. So when you, when you practice something, the same thing over and over, you are making your learning easy. So you feel like you are learning a lot because your performance goes up, right? But then later on, you do not remember much because easy learning make the retention lousy. Uh -huh. If you make the learning more difficult by not doing the same thing over and over, then retention actually increase. Okay, let's make this uh, more concrete for me. If I'm trying to uh, understand the uh, uh, the causes of uh, the American Revolution. Yes. You know, I can remember dates, I suppose, but I could take it from a perspective of what were the British doing that really ticked off the colonists? What was the economic impact of the uh, uh, behavior of Britain on the colonies? What was the social and, uh, uh, structure, and how did that affect the colonies and yeah I, you know the easy one is what taxation without representation but that's not what caused the American Revolution right so by approaching it from several different points of view I might have a better understanding yes okay. that, is, that is true that is true because of many things but um, making it difficult will make retention increase so um so if you just look up right Okay, I can make it easy for my students by giving them answers. Sure. Right? That will make them feel like my you know, instructor, me, Dr. Otani, it's so helpful. <laughs> yeah, right. One week later, you're probably not going to remember anything because I made learning easy. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Instead, if I tell you, look it up for yourself. Oh, you, 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 you wretched professor. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah, you, know, you are not helping me, right? <laughs> but that will help you retain 
lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I used to use study guides in my classes, and uh, my students would say, "Well, you know." Give us the answer. No. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Look, yes. You've got the question. Yes, you know, that is a... Back in the day, they didn't, didn't even give us the questions, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. That, that was the old day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but, uh, but uh, so memory really works in mysterious way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carl Ashley, remember? Yes. He was searching for what he called the memory engram, yes. and he started to do uh, brain removal. Oh research. yes! Oh my God! Yeah, and he, he would, you know, cut out bits and pieces of, I think mainly rat brains, yes, and see yes. what the performance was. And um, the rats with, you know, massive amounts of brain removed didn't do very well. But uh -huh. they didn't, you know, specific things that they had learned previously wasn't necessarily forgotten, and he just couldn't find it. That and, is that is very interesting. So. Um, some people came up with this very mysterious thing, like uh, we only use 10% of our brain, but that is not true either, no, right? I... You know, our brain works as a whole, okay? It's not like, a, you know, one specific part does something specific, even though that is very popular view, but the one specific part does something specific in conjunction with other parts of the brain, you know? so. Um, so, um, uh, uh, yeah, we cannot say where we have our memory, but, uh, but uh, we, we, we are sure that our brain works as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dissertation research was on visual memory, and so yes. I would assume that visual memory is someplace in the visual uh, area of the brain. Yes. But in talking to some of the uh, research participants, um, uh, I would ask them, how they remembered a specific geometric design. They said, well, that, it's, it's a cross. Oh, yes, oh, oh yes. Know? So they're using language, the auditory part of the brain, to remember something that's visual. So that's, I, I see that what you're talking yeah. about, that connection. Yes. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things that strikes me, Jim, is that, for example, when we think of uh, some of the first English poetry and stories like Beowulf. You would have a storyteller recite Beowulf maybe over three or four nights to take to tell the whole story. And I mean this is literally thousands of lines. Wow. And so you say to yourself, wait, how can somebody remember thousands of lines of Beowulf? and several other epic poems that are like this and be able to tell them. Well, part of the training of these people was to be able to say, um, okay, you can tell 10 minutes of the story. And then next time you tell 10 minutes of the story and then you have to add another five minutes. Mm -hmm. So they, they literally repeated it over and over and over and added a little bit until they were full full bards and they could go in and and tell the story to an audience and tell the whole story. And boy, if you uh, uh, didn't get the story right, if, it, if the story that you're telling in Cork tonight isn't the same story that you were telling in Killarney last week, you were in trouble as a bard. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting because a friend of mine in Canada 
is learning how to dance, and this dance is a Tibetan mm-hmm. dance, and it is it is incredibly lengthy with all kinds of movements incorporated. How do you remember all those movements, right? And then the way they learn is segment by segment by segment, right? So um, so ultimately they have an organization of all these segments into almost like um, uh, creating the story grammar, right? Yeah. You know, you, you create the story um, by segmenting the story into a small portion, and then after that, you connect them together, right? And then here's another interesting thing. In terms of learning principle, there is no difference between learning verbal information and physical information such as movement okay so um so i usually tell students you know there is no such thing as learning how to kick a football by doing it just once you know you do it over and over and if the same principle applied to verbal memory you can't just read the textbook once and then hope that you can remember it well, give me the answers then, okay, doctor? Yeah, Hi. right. Yeah. Give you an answer would be even worse because you're making learning too easy. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so what's, um, we've got just a couple minutes uh, uh, more here. What would be an implication for uh, uh, our uh, listeners when they're working with their children? A lot of our listeners are working with their kids at home now during the um, pandemic. Um, we want our children to learn the material, whatever that material might be. But, you know, it might be tempting for me as a parent to take my kid who's melting down and just give him the answer so they can get it on, <laughs> yes. the, on the Chromebook and move on. But yes. that's not a good thing, is it? That is not a good thing. Um, so there At least is, in terms of the learning. Right? Yes, so um, there is a thing called, thing called what, the discovery learning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, but again, that too is not all that great because they can't discover something complex. You know. Yeah. So probably you have to sort of give a bits and pieces of answers, and then guide them to find the answer. You know, you can't just tell them. You know, just find it. Or right, I mean, yeah. you know, these, these are children, so you have to do this cognitive scaffolding, you know, just just give them, you know, something to work on, so that they can start it to start to um, um, the, discover something more than what they already know. You know, I like that term cognitive scaffolding because I think about how you would get somebody teach somebody to climb a ladder or climb a, a scaffold outside of a yeah. You, I would, as a parent, maybe get into the second rung and help my kid up to that second, to, to the next rung. And I go up and then help the child to the next rung. So I'm. Oh, that is very, a, very, very interesting analogy. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I'm kind of a, I don't know, it's almost like a mentor as opposed to a teacher. Yeah. Yes. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting thing that I was told at one time and I think is true. A statistician uh, that I was being tutored by said to me one time, you will understand your undergraduate statistics 
when you do your master's statistics. <laughs> you will understand your master's statistics when you do your doctoral statistics. Yes, yes. Because, and, because what we know is what we know, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so uh, until you know something better, you, you probably don't know everything about what was before. Yeah, right. Yeah. And unless you're really going to work on it, you'll know your doctoral statistics, but if there's something new that comes along, like I, I knew analysis of variance, like, the, you know, backward and forward. And then what comes along? Regression equations. You know? Yes, and then, yes. What's this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you so, got to really um, work then at, at understanding the new stuff. So you have to develop your expertise. Mm -hmm. So once you become expert, um, uh, your way of thinking becomes different. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, um, so it's it's also not true that that this uh, ten thousand hours of training will make you expert. Yeah, you will be good at it, but uh, you are not truly expert. Okay. So uh, you you have to work at it a lot more. Continually. Continually. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you have to restructure how you process information. Wow. So, just working at my golf game for 10,000 hours isn't going to make me a Tiger Woods? That is interesting. Oh, there was a study presented at the conference uh, comparing uh, violinists, those people who do solo, world-class solo violin, and then those people do really great violin but not, not, did not make solo violinists. Actually, the amount of practice was less for this world-class violinist. Well, that's another memory paradox. Right, right. Yeah, isn't that amazing? You know, yeah. they, they... So, innate talent. Ooh, they didn't go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe something is different, yes. But I don't know about the innate talent. You know, what, where does that, you know? But, the, but the, there, is, there is that. Maybe there is a qualitative difference between world-class violinist and violinists who are very good but did not make that far yeah. you know so so yes there there are lots of you know irony in all this right you know so uh yeah yeah there's all kinds of possible confounds for everything that you put forward and, and then somebody will say but what about yeah mm -hmm. yes yes yeah. so it, it that's why this this makes it you know that will make it very interesting so um you know researchers are always excited about finding the mysterious part of what we do in terms of for me you know remembering is very very interesting mm -hmm. because <laughs> because you know okay i i don't want to bring in some kind of religion or something like that but you know i'm from japan and then you know buddhist tradition we say past does not exist until you bring it back, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, what we bring it back, you know, is 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 really mysterious. Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though memory is the area of psychology that is probably most studied, you know, first studied. Some of the stuff that we were talking about with remembering uh, uh, how to. Uh, do a, a, a poem like Beowulf or, you know, yeah. that goes back to Cicero. Cicero had some ideas as to how to do it too. So there's always something new in psychology and even with the old stuff, there's still something new. So uh, 
Dr. Atani, I want to really thank you for your participation here today. Uh, I, I enjoy this. A, a thank lot. you very much for inviting me for this. Oh. Hey, this is Jim. And Ralph. Saying, keep your stick on the ice, because we're all in this together.